This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I am your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me are a couple of old friends familiar to listeners of this show and our antecedent, Plato's Cave. Here with me at sunny downtown Triple R Studios in in Brunswick is the first of our very special guests, Cerise Howard. Very special, hopefully not as in very special episode, sort of very special, but just merely very special. <laughs> oh, no, this is a very special episode, as we'll get to. And broadcasting from the comfort of her own, her own home in an undisclosed location is Emma Westwood. Hi, Paul. I'm in quarantine. So <laughs> well, I'm not, but I'm just not allowed to, you know, visit you guys in the studio, unfortunately. It's very, very sad indeed. Um, so here in Melbourne, it's another weekend of the lockdown, or as I like to call it, lockdown part six, Jason Lives, uh, which has, of course, played havoc with the very focus of tonight's show and why it's a very special episode series. Our, the first of our two-part preview of the 69th Melbourne International Film Festival. The plan was to celebrate Miff's triumphant return to the cinema after going all online in 2020 to chat about the opening night film and spotlight cinema highlights you could catch during the next week of Miff's big screen portion of the festival before it went all online for another week. However, it wouldn't be life in the time of COVID without shenanigans. So after a sudden outbreak of cases forced a short-term lockdown, that was lockdown five, uh, Miff were forced to switch their schedule from an in-cinema first half and online second half to starting online and finishing in cinemas. Of course, last week's snap seven-day lockdown, the aforementioned lockdown part six, means that more changes will surely be afoot in the coming days, with the rescheduled opening night date of Thursday, August 12th, certain to not go ahead as it falls during this present lockdown period. So what does this all mean for you, us, Miff? Well, it means we'll be discussing films purely available on Miff's online Miff Play platform, all available to rent between now and August 22nd. First, we'll focus on the hidden women behind the genesis of electronic music in Lisa Rovner's documentary Sisters with Transistors. Then we'll explore the life of mid-century jazz musician and transmasculine icon Billy Tipton in Ashling Chin Yi and... Chase Joint's documentary, No Ordinary Man. And finally, we'll unearth hidden treasures in Bill Morrison's experimental doc, The Village Detective, A Song Cycle. And also after each film, we'll uh, get a recommendation from each of us over something else we've seen uh, this uh, weekend. Also, as you listen to us chatting about these films, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So now, please, uh, join us on the couch 
as we are at the couch because it's uh, the online portion of MIF for our first film of the week. It's now, uh, first of all, why, why do you have this stuff? What do you do with this? Oh, uh, well, this is how I make a living. You know? I, mean, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I just wanted to be introduced as a composer and to start to point out how hard it was for women to be taken seriously as creators of music. This is the story of women who hear music in their heads, of radical sounds. Sisters with Transistors is the debut documentary feature directed by Lisa Rovner. Think of early electronic music and you'll likely see men pushing buttons, knobs and boundaries. While electronic music is often perceived as a boys' club, the truth is that from the very beginning, women like Suzanne Ciani, Daphne Oram, Delia Derbyshire, Bibi Barron, Elaine Radigue, Marianne Amaker, Pauline Oliveros, Clara Lockmore, Laurie Spiegel and, of course, Wendy Carlos have been integral in inventing the devices, techniques and tropes that would define the shape of sound for years to come. Featuring a breadth of illuminating archival footage as well as in fascinating insights and interviews, Sisters with Transistors offers a radical revision of a seminal sound. Cerise, mm. did all these beeps and boops make you want to bop? Jesus, I sound like an early 60s DJ. Uh, well, yes. Um, uh, this is a really terrific documentary. Like all of the films we're really honing in on this evening, it plunders archives of one sort or another to a wonderful effect. What a blessing that there is uh, material enough to um, uh, fill a feature-length runtime for a documentary such as this. It would be such a, a sad thing if this material didn't exist, if, if these women were further marginalised by the not being sufficient record of what they accomplished and how, because the how is quite extraordinary. This is very pre-digital um, innovation and experimentation and music making. You don't get much more analog than what looks like an entire switchboard worth of synthesizer. Um, a, just just watching the the way that some of these early uh, synthesizers had to be operated, uh, and and it, and and the I mean, for me the, the the biggest revelation was Daphne Oram, who I, whose name I did not know, and watching her draw sound such that a machine might play it, a sort of optical sound, something beautifully synesthetic about it. Uh, oramics, she called it, <laughs> which I like it. That's how, to, how you should make your mark Absolutely. on the word, and that should be something I, we should all have known about oramics all these years. Uh, just revelatory and joyous. And, um, yes, these women had had all manner of uh, daft, stupid, long-standing obstacles put in front of them, though in some instances some assistance from notable males of the species as well. So hats off to Pierre Schaeffer, for example, for uh, assisting the, uh, the French um, composer we see quite a bit of in this documentary, whose name eludes me yep. momentarily. Eliane Radigou? Yes, Eliane. Yep. Eliane. Eliane. Eliane Radigou. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the one... <sighs> semi-household name amongst them all, Delia Derbyshire. We all know the Doctor Who theme and its umpteen variations over time. Many people probably hadn't given much thought as to how that was first created, but it took a while. Let's just say that it took quite a while. And um, yeah, hats off to all the people who did enable these women um, and boo and hiss to all of the <laughs> historians who inadequately documented uh, their miraculous 
innovations and, and compositions and and variety in that as well. So much variety. It's not all about mimicking classical music forms and diatonic scales and such far from it. Soundscapes were born through the through the um, machinations of such women as these. I, I was blown away by this documentary. I loved it. I wish to revisit it. I could listen to Laurie Anderson's understated narration alone. There's something very maybe ASMR-y about just her narration <laughs> aptly. <laughs> I had a good time with this film. Can you tell? <laughs> her, her narration, uh, Cerise, um, she actually sounded like a machine. Yes. Anderson. <laughs> well, that's been a bit of her shtick all these years too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Could she have been any more appropriate? I don't <laughs> think she could be any more appropriate. And it was great that got her for it. Um, it's also incredibly timely for this this piece because I know there's a really big push to get women into STEM you know studying STEM subjects and so forth and it's still you know really women are lagging behind but this is kind of something that I think if some very young you know mathematically minded young women were to to watch would be a great source of inspiration because it is incredibly inspirational um it also, it's interesting the way it talks about this. It's not just about the idea of uh, these women pioneers in electronic music, but it also actually kind of um, plays with the concept of what I think a lot of us would associate with uh, electronic music. I think with a, um, many people, if you say electronic music now, you expect a certain type of music, which um, this is playing with sort of, much more earlier mood and soundscapes in fact a lot of their um a lot of the 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 stuff that's kind of uh played within this is about um getting actually defined as music that was a lot of what they were going through um they talked a, a bit well they talk about it a lot across the documentary but in specific specifically they talk about bb baron who <laughs> See, I love the Forbid uh, Forbidden Planet is one of my favourite monster movies, invisible monster movies, uh, no less, from the 1950s. And um, Bibi and Louis Barron um, were... <laughs> Sorry, guys, I've just had a cat cut into my um, screen. <laughs> yeah. um, Bibi and Louis Barron were... Um, you know, we're actually uh, were asked to do the score for this, but it was uh, decided that they would. What do they call it? Electronic tonalities. Mm. Um, that the that the actual you know musicians' union, shall we say? I'm not sure if you call it a union. I can't remember what they were. Some organisation at the time decided that they didn't want that their score to be um, categorised as music because they felt that it was going to enable machines to take over the role of um, musicians. Uh, so that was another interesting thing that came out through this. Um, it was interesting. I didn't know these women. I'm not very um, up on my um, electronic, early electronic music. I probably would have liked to have seen a little bit more of explanation of, for example, when we have the really early stuff around um, Clara Lockmore, I believe, with the theremin. I don't think they she at one stage refers to it as a theremin in what she's speaking about, but they didn't actually really point it out as a theremin or what the theremin is because it's one of the more intriguing instruments I think that's ever been created. Um, 
the other stuff, which is like what Cerise was alluding to, looks like basically a 1950s switchboard with a whole lot of wires that, you know, you switch into, you know, you put into different ports. Um, that we get a couple of nice walkthroughs where the um, where you know the, the for example Delia Derbyshire is one of them who walks through it and explains like how these kind of knobs and everything work. But uh, yeah, I, in some ways I would have liked they didn't go into the personal stuff of the. Um, of the composers, which I, I thought was really great. It focused in on the music, but I would like to know a little bit more about their instrumentation and um, how really these incredibly dense, um, almost orchestral in their layers, um, uh, analog sounds work, let's say. Mm, yeah. Um, I almost thought they, they perhaps just assumed everybody knew what a theremin was, like sort of went in with that attitude, like everybody knows what a theremin is. She's playing it. From Beach Boy songs. <laughs> you know, or you know, <laughs> old movie, uh, sci-fi movie scores. Yeah, I um, this yeah this is definitely a story that, that uh, needed to and should be told and um, for sure. Like it's proven time and again that these women's work had – immeasurable impact on audio culture like there's a point late in the film i i think it's i think it's bb baron am i right who gets into it with an advertising agency and oh no no that's um uh that's actually who's that suzanne chiani oh that is it okay yeah that's suzanne which chiani. is amazing you go good on her but she it was, actually had quite a good career absolutely um but it was that thing where you hear all these noises in the ads. You're like, oh, my God, this is like stuff that permeates. And through advertising in the late 20th century, that's how you permeate the culture. And that just the like her sort of output alone and being, you know, the first solo woman to score a Hollywood major, a major Hollywood studio movie with uh, the incredible Shrinking Man as well. Woman. But that's not correct, oh, woman, sorry. is it? Yes. Is, is that, that not correct? That's not correct. Well, this is what I was a bit – Found a bit strange. They do mention Wendy Carlos. Yeah, Wendy Carlos they were a bit a coy of, about yeah. Wendy Carlos, and then a bit dismissive because one of the uh, other composers uh, rubbished her contribution to electronic music because it was mimicking or at least translating an you know an archaic form of music to this modern era. <laughs> Uh, with switched on Bach in particular, but of course you know, she also did the score for a Clockwork Orange. And imagine that film without its very electronic score and ambience. Um, it's unthinkable. Incredibly distinctive um, and uh, recognisable, and that predates the Incredible Shrinking Woman by ten years. Um, well, it's just, exactly. her trans status does bear mentioning at this stage because I was I had that little bit of uh, apprehension seeing this as. Hadn't been promoted as featuring her amongst the lineup. No, and I thought, is this because she's a trans woman and my, all of my trans sensitivities were going off the radar? And um, <laughs> pinging, yeah, yeah. And she's bloody she, sensitive. But I mean, each of these women, frankly, deserves a documentary of their own. This is a great overview mm. and a necessity, but it would be so good to see a doc. I want every one of these women singly. Um, can I? <sighs> no. Yeah, I didn't enjoy this. I, I I'm not. You didn't enjoy no, it. No, at all. I was kind of bored, stupid by it. I really? like again. I love the story, but I, I see. I've said before on the show, music docs are often anathema to me. I'm not. 
I'm not an audio file. And I feel like this is told in the most static way possible. Like it's it's for audio nerds. And you're definitely an audio nerd. Who are you pointing? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm pointing you at Carl is <laughs> <laughs> an audio nerd. Yeah, I I just felt like and and so many I don't know like I again I think this is an absolute like I th- I feel like music docs for me either through either give you a way in through an interesting protagonist or communi- communicating the feeling of the music and helping you hear them anew. Too often in in this film, I sort of found the sounds were being told were so great, the kind of things you'd beg your torturer to stop before giving up all your state secrets. But there is some wonderful uh, uh, archive footage, great trivia, and again, like the these women do deserve a spotlight and a tribute. I just wish the filmmaking had been a little bit more inclusive of those who weren't already plugged into this, shall we say. I did. Do you, do, do, didn't you find, though, that even though it didn't delve into their personal lives, just to see them talk about their 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 instruments or their way, they, they were such interesting women. Like Delia Derbyshire was, like, fascinating. She had this kind of, um, you know, aristocratic kind of British accent. And yeah, didn't she insisted define... she was working class. Mm. Yes, mm. yes, but yeah. she was a working class girl, but she had, you know, very mannered voice and then Marianne Amateur I mean what what a amazing woman like a cr- incredible eccentric I thought there was enough color there that it could possibly hook someone like you Paul but maybe not mm. evidently not Alas, no. yes I did like I I, I I think the ones I enjoyed most are Daphne Oram um, I love the idea that the BBC basically went, all right, love, you can have your room, build your stuff. And she just, like, built this incredible studio while no one was watching. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I, I did enjoy her a lot. And invented um, Oramics. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and, and um, Google it, folks. <laughs> and Suzanne Siriani was quite an uh, engaging interviewee as well. Um, yeah, oh, look, I, I'm sorry, this... I, I, while acknowledging that, yes, this is a vital story, it just wasn't for me, but I'm delighted it was for you. And I have a feeling it's it would be great for a lot of our listeners. I, th- I feel like a lot of our listeners would, would really get into this. So please disregard my opinion on this <laughs> one. It's just a very person, like just, I'm just not a music doc guy. It's uh, mm. You loved the Sparks one though, didn't you? I did, because that communicated that, feeling and that and I found them interesting mm. 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 and it's more the whole performance aspect for me I think and, and I and, the Sparks one too but still mm. <laughs> mm. so Sisters with Transistors is now available to rent online on the Miff Play streaming platform visit play.miff.com.au now before we uh, throw to our first song Cerise, do you have any uh, anything you've seen on the Myth Play platform you've been impressed with, other than what we're doing tonight? Well, I, I do. Um, I mean, more music documentaries. Um, I've seen the Polystyrene music doco, um, which is wonderful. So have I. Have you? Yeah, I really liked it as well. And that's Polystyrene, I am not a cliche. That's right. That's right. Um, largely through the efforts of her daughter, with whom she had an at times strained and difficult relationship. Um, her daughter goes through the archives, her mum's archives, quite a sizable collection, and and with an awful lot of footage of X-ray specs in, and, and her own solo work in their prime, this documentary's got a, a ton of, to attract any 
anyone with an interest in the first wave of punk in the UK um, in the first instance, but then throw in her own uh, person of colour at the vanguard of such a movement and then mental health issues. And you've got all the makings for what is a really ultimately very moving uh, music doco. I think this one might speak more to you, Paul, because there's quite a narrative arc to it. And uh, I found it quite moving. Emma, you too? I did. I thought it was um, it was very moving, and I didn't really know that much about polystyrene, to be totally honest. Uh, uh, it was really great to see her performances. They weren't, they didn't, she didn't kind of indulge in the full performances. In fact, I probably would have liked to see more, like to kind of let it sort of run, sort of see a bit more of her on stage um in sort of longer grabs but it was very much her daughter doing this you know reconciliation of the relationship posthumously with her mother and exploring a whole lot of stuff I mean like she was one of a kind definitely and it's interesting to see someone who is truly a one of a kind so that I am I am a cliche is um you know definitely being ironic there uh so yeah that personal touch was really quite Beautiful, I found, and honest, but also, you know, delved into the exploration of her mental illnesses as well. So it kind of, you know, the idea was shining a light on that as as well, without labouring, I felt. And one real bonus. um, Beautiful, beautiful doco. Yeah, and a real bonus for Australian viewers. Uh, We don't see him on screen, (laughs) but that is surely Molly Meldrum's voice out of of shot several times interviewing her. Yeah. And they have, yeah, yeah, they have her a few times when she's like a kid. I mean, you just hear her interviewed, and she she interviews like a shy. Yeah, she's nineteen at that time, I think, nineteen or twenty when he's. I know, but she seems much younger, and but then she gets on stage and just belts it out. I mean, she has a voice that's quite stunning, like you know, the kind of voice that throws you out the back wall. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this does sound like a lot more appealing to me. I have to say, so anything around the punk scene, I'm, I'm. Greatly, um, I, I really dig. So I will uh, look out for Polystyrene. I am not a cliche. Also available to rent online on the Miff Play streaming platform until August 22nd. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Emma Westwood, Cerise Howard, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So now, why don't you join us in front of the computer for our second film. Trans people's survival through history was based on invisibility. It's scary when centuries of your survival have been based on not being seen. And you have no models, you have no history. It's like you never existed, but you know you must have. And then you see Billy Tipton and you think... People like me existed and they did things. They were jazz musicians, maybe one of the greatest jazz musicians ever. So that you're looking for someone who exists like you so you're not alone. No Ordinary Man is the first released documentary from directors Ashling, Chin Yi and Chase Joint. Uh, American jazz musician Billy Tipton uh, developed a reputable touring and recording career in the mid-20th century, along with his band The Billy Tipton Trio. After his death in the late 80s, it was revealed that Tipton was assigned female at birth, and his life was swiftly reframed as the story of an ambitious woman passing as a man in pursuit of a music career. 
This film seeks to correct that misrepresentation by collaborating with trans artists to collectively celebrate Tipton's story as a musician living his life according to his own terms, painting a portrait of a trans culture icon. Uh, I th- sorry, I think, I think Emma's having some audio issues. She can't seem to hear us, Carl. Um, in the meantime, Cerise. Yes, hello. Hello. Did you know of Billy Tipton before this doc came about and how did you feel about this uh, reappraisal and reframing of his story? I did know of Billy Tipton, uh, but not much. I knew uh, that he'd been a a jazz musician of some note, perhaps not the very top tier, but um, not far below. Um, And I knew that there was something of a, a media circus when he died, but I'd never really seen much of the footage of that that uh, appears in this documentary. But this is um, there's something in, in common to some of the experience that the the women we were just talking about in the previous documentary have in common with with Billy Tipton, which is so when it came to the example of the of well, BB and Louis Barron's score for Forbidden Planet, much as there didn't exist a vocabulary to define that comfortably for people as music. Similarly, there wasn't language around transmasculine identity for Billy Tipton in his time, mm. such that um, uh, he led an entirely uh, closeted life, a life of the utmost stealth, such that his um, his transness, such as it could even be defined at the time, was a secret to his wife and adopted children. And um, and the most wonderful and moving thing about this film is is the one of those three children, uh, the other two are intriguingly and probably quite sadly absent from this documentary, but uh, tremendously moving seeing Billy Tipton Jr. Uh, in you know, close to the current day, I should think, um, finally realising actually that he was not alone and holding his father in high esteem, but he'd been made to feel extremely lonely for, I think, a very long time. Mm. And it's um, really beautiful as he gets to uh, develop some awareness that his father is actually an icon in the trans community uh, as a a forerunner, um, uh, an elder, you could Mm. say. And um, there's there's a really wonderful... um, structural aspect to this film where a lot of actors, uh, as if for a casting caller, being cast in the role of Billy Tipton for an imagined, doc, uh, imagined, I suppose, fictional account of his life or dramatisation of his life, a beautiful metaphor for the performance of gender and, um, and, and that's a beautifully colourblind casting call too, which is really admirable and enjoyable and the diversity of the trans masculine folk who come to play Billy Tipton or seek to and then sort of deconstruct what that even is for them and for others uh, is really gorgeous. I I found this a really moving, touching documentary. Um, Much to admire about it. Uh, Do we have Em on the the mic? Are you back? Yeah, I'm back. back. I'm back. (laughs) Can't get rid of me that (laughs) Damn, we tried. Did you you find this uh, a a moving moving talk? I did, actually. Wow. I don't know where to begin with this one. It's the type of doco that I think you could go out uh, for dinner afterwards and talk about it 
for the rest of the night and maybe even into the next day because it seems to raise so many questions, uh, so many interesting points of view. Uh, just um, like Cerise mentioned, first of all, this idea of uh, getting into the experience of Billy through trans masculine actors trying to get into his skin and feel like what it was to be him at that time was really that that's one element okay <laughs> that's one element just one element of this film then you've got the whole um this what was amazing story but also just a sad story what what really got to me was the 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 fact that he basically he died what I felt felt was he died because he couldn't go and get medical help for fear of being mm. outed and that was the super tragic part of this yep. and then he no doubt realized that was going to be his end you know that was just what he had to deal with but also this story of then his biographer who I think was for all intents and purposes well intentioned but at a different time and therefore trying to um to provide a reason for why he did what he he did he lived this lie which is the irony he would have been living a lie otherwise mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> if he wasn't his trans masculine self you know that's the irony of it and then to have all these uh, trans masculine people chatting about it and talking about it in their own experiences and this idea of comparing it against, I mean, there's so much in this, comparing it against homophobia to transphobia and the differences which are really extreme or the, tra or the trans experience uh, compared to the homosexual experience. But then also there's the music side of it. And I think this is a little bit of a problem with the way this film's been programmed um, uh, because it isn't a music documentary. This is I can understand why it's sitting within the music space, but I'm a little concerned that people could go into it and go, hang on. I mean, I would assume that most people would get a lot out of it anyway, even if it wasn't what they were going in for. But it's very little focus on the music. So it doesn't really sit in this music on film um, stream, although it may to initially read the synopsis, that's where it should be. So, um, it, it, but what will really interest me is when towards the end of this documentary, they actually ask all the, the talking head participants what they would ask Billy if they got to to chat to him and they all wanted to talk about the music <laughs> or what it was like to be at that time and the experiences and to be in the clubs and more about this kind of the good side of 1950s culture rather than the homophobia and the misogyny and the racism and everything else <laughs> that went with it. Um, and... And then it ends with, the, you know, Susan Stryker, who was in... Did you talk to Susan Stryker in the at, uh, your disclosure panel? Uh, I didn't, know, But she's a, a notable uh, trans elder of the current day. Um, yeah, she's been in quite a few documentaries. Yes. Get, yeah. She, yeah, she, she was, because she was in disclosure as well. Yes. And I thought she put forward this really great 
line at the end, which was this idea, because I think a lot of the thing around, uh, you know, transphobia, which is at a different, it's very much at a different level to homophobia. I think people are more accepting of homosexuality than transgenderism. And she she just, because they can't understand, I don't think anyone can really understand unless that is their experience, um, what it is to feel like that, right? So Susan Stryker says uh, she hopes that people would look and say there's someone who has found their own unique happiness. And I thought that was so wonderful. That was just a really great explanation and something that people who go, I I can't understand, I just can't understand, maybe that gives them an in in some ways. Yeah. I I really dug this. It's interesting because when it starts, it's like, okay, so we're we're, we're going to learn about Billy Tipton. And I was a bit – at first I wasn't quite sure where this was going because it was like we've got a bunch of, you know, sort of a a group of millennial transgender men auditioning to play the role and talking about their experiences. It's like, is this the digital generation hijacking somebody's story again? Is this this, a generation putting themselves at the centre of every narrative? But no, it actually, as it teases out – Becomes something a little bit more, a lot more profound than that, and it's introducing because most of most, if not all, of these men wouldn't have heard of him, and so it's kind of introducing them to his story. And as you say, um, Emma, seeing uh, Billy's life through, you know, through his eyes and and embodying him, and becomes this instructive, inspiring, and 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 most importantly, because um, hopeful antecedent. Um, and role model that they never knew they had. Because, um, you know, so few, you know, transgender stories from the past seem to be hopeful, you know, and, and this is and this is a lovely about somebody who, you know, while he certainly had his struggles and, and couldn't get treatment because of, um, because of being, the fear of being found out, but there is that note that he did die surrounded by a loving family in a, in a sort of a, you know, with a, with a loving wife and loving sons. And, that is such a such a hopeful you know sort of end to to his story there's there's uh so there's so much interesting stuff i would have liked to have learned um particularly his relationship with his mother and stepfather because there's a photo that they show at one point during his musical prime and it looks very positive it looks like they're you know they're sitting at the table with him there in his full jazz regalia and and yeah, I would have liked to have known. I had a lot of questions about that. You know, I would have liked to have known what that relationship was like. Um, and I felt that this was a winning, accessible document of the life of a trailblazer, the fallout of what happens when people are forced to hide by a prejudiced society, and a generation who have come so far who crave their their elders, as you say, Cerise, stories to be told, and especially more positive ones. Um, yeah, I I thought this was really lovely, and um, and. Beautifully, just you know, their faces as they found out certain things about him, or 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 thought through certain situations and connections that they made with him in their own experience, which is really beautiful and really moving stuff. Yeah, and there are still other layers too to the this film. There's archival footage that isn't specific to Billy Tipton. It's just of the era, mm. just um, just adds colour and, and, well, sometimes subtracts colour, shows how beige <laughs> 1950s America could be and how, how um, uh, restricted, uh, confined people's lives were, they, you know, the, the possibilities if, if you were to be part of the, the dream, um, the American dream is not, not one that actually had a lot of scope for many people. 
and and then the the footage of um uh, of Billy's wife and and Billy Tipton Jr. fronting up to these horrific baying talk show crowds oh. who are just up just hounding them with desperately inappropriate disrespectful um lines of inquiry one of them was literally the most heteronormative question I'd ever heard in my life. Like the well, one the, about the playing catch and does he throw oh, yeah, like yeah. all of that sort of <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's There's a desperate failure awful. of imagination on the part <laughs> yeah. of these people as much as just a, a desperate white bread heteronormativity too. It's just um yeah. So well, wonderful, wonderful documentary. Um yes, there are still more we could know or might hope to know. Perhaps um, some more scholarly research will go into Billy Tipton's and others' lives and, and unearth more stories and footage. Um, yes, it is light on for music. We don't actually hear or see a lot of Billy Tipton playing music. That music is out there on record. We see some pictures of records <laughs> in the film. Um, I do believe he was said to have been a, a pretty darn good player. So, yeah. And we're about to hear one pretty soon. Um, So No No Ordinary Man is now available to rent online on the Miff Play streaming platform. Uh, Just visit play.miff.com.au. Now, M, do you very quickly have a recommendation, something you've seen off the beaten track on Miff Play over the weekend? I I do. I have um, Rose, a love story. I saw this too. Can I get a witness from you, Paul? You can indeed. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought this was um, a fantastic little horror movie. Um, I'm quite excited to see a horror movie like this, a small, for all intents and purposes. As I say, it's not a, a super expensive film, although it does look beautiful. Um, it's uh, highly stylized, but as in, you know, it's described as a chamber piece, and that it is. It's only got a handful of actors, and it's more about this idea of um, uh, ten, people, a couple holding uh, a tenuous grip on life, but in you know, incredibly in love, and therefore going off the grid in order to hold on to that grip on life but then something from the outside coming in. Um, it's not a you know, particularly original setup. I don't want to say too much more because no. I think it's really lovely in its unfolding. Um, but it is, that doesn't sound like, you know, it's, it's, it's a tried and tested recipe, but I think it's, it's really strong in this case in terms of the performances, the writing and the direction. So I was very impressed with this, Paul. What I was, t- I was too. Yeah, the the yeah. Lead, the lead couple are actually a real couple in real life. And oh, are the, they? Yeah, and the oh, and the lead uh, the gentleman is the screenwriter of the movie, and they both produced yeah. it. And this is from director Jennifer Sheridan. Yeah, it's surprisingly sweet. I didn't expect something this sweet. Um, it's about sort of like feels like the idea of caring for a partner, but also particularly relatable over the last two years, the way couples create their own ecosystems to create a sense of love and safety, you know, mm. rituals and and uh, objects. And, um, and uh, yeah, I just thought this was really lovely. And, mm. um, and you know, also kind of... Uh, you know, has some horror moments. But, yeah, I highly recommend Rosa Love Story as well. So you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. 
Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Cerise Howard, Emma Westwood and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now, uh, join us on the couch for our final film. You all understood that, right? The Village Detective, a song cycle, is the sixth feature documentary directed by Bill Morrison. In the summer of 2016, an Icelandic fisherman made an unexpected catch. Four reels of 35mm film containing an incomplete print of a beloved Soviet-era comedy, Village Detective. Um, That film from 1969 starred Mikhail Zharov, a prolific actor whose career spanned almost 70 titles across Russia's Soviet period. Finding his interest beyond peaked, Morrison uses his discovery, which had no intrinsic archival value since well-preserved prints of the films are in existence, as a starting point to investigate Zharov's life and career, as well as lost and forgotten episodes of this rich national cinema. Emma, did this deep-sea dive into a little-known outside-of-Russia-Soviet classic buoy you? Boy, me. B-U-O-Y, I'm guessing. Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Not boy or boar. Boy. boy, oh boy. Uh, yeah, this is, I, I'm a little bit of a, um, a, a Bill Morrison innocent. I know that uh, he's very much, um, you know, loved by cineasts around the world. Uh, but it, there's just something about what I, I always hear, what Bill Morrison's doing, and it doesn't necessarily appeal to me. But it always means I think that it's always good that I'm forced sometimes to jump into these, jump into these deep waters that I may not usually jump into, because I did so very much enjoy this in a very meditative interesting sense, <laughs> I have to say. It was, I didn't know what I was, uh, that I was going to really see this uh, documentary around Mikhail Zaroff, which is um, the actor who is the lead actor in the film, The Village Detective, that is the film that they bring up from um, the depths of the ocean. Uh, I, and I thought that was a really interesting way of seeing of looking at this, the way it's constructed, all right, it's called a song cycle. I, I can understand why that's happened because um, that the music, the actual uh, accordion music is really very cyclical. Uh, it's David Lang's music, I should say. Uh, and when you, you kind of come in and out of these footage of uh, Mikhail Zaroff in, across his career, starting with very early footage from 19... 19- 1905, is it? Or 1915, 19... but notably 19... pre-revolutionary. Yes, which is when he's 15 as well, if I re... and he's really striking. He's like a beautiful young man. Um, I think the fact that he ages really quickly yes. is a sign of what it's like to be in Russia um, across the 20th century, shall we say. Uh, and and that's what essentially I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. It's kind of like, you know, he's never explicit. Well, he's never explicit, Bill Morrison. I'm guessing that that is what this is about. It's about looking at things. It's about looking at something that may be common and looking at it in a totally different way, like trying to read um, the uh, subtext in something through a different 
visual entry point, shall we say. And that's how he uses then, he cuts it in with sections from this film that are water, water-worn, basically, and he slowed them down and he's put subtitling over it to show sections of the film. Now, these... I actually like these. I would have thought I would have wouldn't have liked these as much as I did, but I found that I went into a zone. I don't know. I think this was like probably the best meditation that I've ever had. I kind of especially being in lockdown, there was something about watching this. I could imagine, unfortunately, I can imagine imagine that we're all in lockdown watching this um, in Melbourne, but it would be something else on the big screen. It would really be trippy. Uh, But still, nevertheless, the effect is still there. And I was really, I I went somewhere else. I don't know what it was, but I went somewhere else watching this. I think you went to one of my happy places, Emma. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Cerise, we both Paul and I have um, noted that this is uh, the most Cerise show we've probably ever it had. Really is. Well, so. it, it dabbles in that that realm certainly across the three selections. But I love Bill Morrison. I'm fascinated by what he does and what he unearths. Um, he considers himself something of a, a film archaeologist and is drawn to the aesthetic properties of film and decomposition. And you know, most his most famous feature-length films called Decasia, which is uh, an extraordinary compendium of uh, scenes from films uh, under great... films where the, the footage has been under great duress probably over decades in many instances, and it often appears that figures within the footage are battling the decay. It often gives that impression, whilst accompanied by an, an incredible droning... Um, music concrete soundtrack throughout. The, the, the scores to his films are always wonderful too. And, and notably, the, the, the Icelandic person who brought this discovery of these films that had sunk to the bottom of the sea uh, to Bill Morrison's attention was uh, Johan Johansson, the mm. Icelandic, uh, the recently yeah. deceased composer. He doesn't actually have a part in this film beyond that, but notable, a bit of trivia. Um, Paul did this... Are you a fan of Bill? Um, You're not, are you? You hated this. Every can I? Uh, can I? Can I say? I, I, I'd be fine if I never heard an accordion again. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of accordion. Oh boy, quite a treated accordion. Oh boy. Um, yeah, it's. I, I, I look. I, I was really interested in um, Jarov's story. I found Jarov an, an interesting figure and it made me want to find out more about, you know, I guess, you know, I realise there's a lot about Russian history I don't know. I'm not really a scholar of that sort of thing. And so I was getting into that and, and the way, and again, this film's, you know, part of it is about the evolving dialogue between life, art and culture and how they all ping off one another. And that stuff I found really interesting. Um there's there's stuff in there. There's highlights of Jarov's life, his own reflections, his career trajectory, the shifting Soviet regimes. There's footage of Lenin in this film, which is amazing, um, uh, from you know, recorded in 1917, um, and and uh, <laughs> and and a peek behind the scenes of film restoration, which I loved as well, yeah. and and like the little stuff. snatches of you know laying the film out on the floor and all that sort of thing. I really dug all that. 
I just, I don't know. Maybe just Morrison's style doesn't agree with me. Like everything's delivered via text on screen. Um, I again, I like the clips from the film were interesting, but I don't know why he had to slow them down and ceaselessly score with this melancholy. I, I, he's, I know you two have mentioned the meditative thing, and he's, and his company is called Hypnotic Films. I, I was not in a meditative state in this film, um, but. I think there's enough about there was enough about it to 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 hold my attention in regards to to Zharov and the history of history of the Soviet um, state and and um and and um yeah there was enough for me to 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 hook me there but the form of it shall we say was not really my cup of tea the experience of it didn't quite register with you as it did Emma and I the, no, no uh, sadly I'm, you I'm know the what grump interests tonight. me Paul. I've got now, I, I will just come out and say, I've uh, got used to your reviewing style, which is this, you know, you warm people up, you warm them up, and then you just go, but didn't really like it. <laughs> I like to I like to show both sides of the coin. Unless it's that, what was that terrible movie I reviewed last week, Jolt? Unless it's that, <laughs> kick the hell out. I'm, you know, I like to show, yeah, argue both sides of the prosecution. You're a nice guy. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Say some, um, and not in and not in the mafia sense. <laughs> <laughs> not a wise guy. Um, so, Bill Morrison's The Village Detective: A Song Cycle is now available to rent online on the Myth Play streaming platform. Uh, just um, visit, visit play.myth.com.au. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Cerise Howard, Emma Westwood, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We discussed Sisters with Transistors, No Ordinary Man, the Billy Tipton documentary, and The Village Detective, A Song Cycle, and also gave shout-outs to uh, Rose, A Love Story, and Polystyrene, I Am a Cliché. All available to rent online via the Myth Play streaming platform until August 22nd. Visit play.myth.com.au to see these and more. Next week, join us for the second of our annual Myth specials, possibly highlighting films screening online from this year's Myth. Probably in cinemas, maybe not. Who knows? Log on to our social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to discover what films we'll be spotlighting. Cerise and Emma, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having us, Paul. And a huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast, to Carl Chapman for panelling the show and providing producing assistance. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 